Hi everyone, it's the Squiggly Film Club yet again. I'm here with uh, Laura Beth Kelly. Hello. And Steve Henderson. Hello. Uh, and I'm Ben Mitchell. As if you didn't know. As a cheery intro, Ben, for for what we're going to get absolutely devastated by the end of this film. Oh, I expect so. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this is the, the result of the popular vote. I guess people like to be sad. I kind of don't remember this film. It's Ethel and Ernest, by the way, one. Uh, I kind of don't remember this film, like, absolutely devastating me. I think I kind of thought, for the most part, it was sort of uplifting mm. with a bit of a sad ending. But maybe, I guess, like, it was so traumatizing. I stuff, it's not that sad. Yeah. Wow, you guys are monsters with yeah. hearts of stone. Maybe we just never saw it all the way through. Maybe the, the, we did. <laughs> I know, we did. Um... <laughs> Uh, why don't we just crack on with it, shall we? Let's get going. Okay, and a three, three and a two, two and a one. One. Lay. Oh, turn the sound off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to like this music, trying to you know watch films online, and you're like, oh, I found it, and then it gets to this point, and then it's just like register. It's like, ah, oh, fuck, they got me again. <laughs> It's good to have a little bit of sound at the beginning so people can sync up if they actually, if anyone ever actually <laughs> actually uses this as a commentary uh, for their films. If anyone wanted to ruin a film, this is a perfect way to do it. I don't know about that. I think we um, enliven it, infusing <laughs> it with our little observations and bonmos. How many people funded this goddamn film? Takes a lot to fund a film these days. A lot of people got to pull together. There's so many, there's already five. Well, you have your distributors, <laughs> and then you have your just people but these with are cash. All, like, these are all funds. They're all film funds. Hmm. There you go. I guess they Everyone all, uh... wanted a slice of the pie. Well, this was a, a pie that they were all covetous of, I'm sure. Um, oh, we're doing a bit of a snowman-y beginning. Yeah, I forgot about this beginning. Where does he live? Um, Has he lived down on know. the on the South Downs? Is it like uh, near uh, Lewis? Is it? I don't know. Down that That's... down that way. Oh look, he's got a snowman cut. So we're in the house of Raymond Briggs. Uh, author... Do you think this is his actual house or like a set yeah, house? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I like to think that uh, Bowie's in the attic, <laughs> <laughs> still looking for his scarf. He has a. He has all of the snowman stuff. Like, he has a snowman. Uh, his like, kitchen is a merchandise hoard. machine. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you, we can't escape watching Ethel and Ernest without talking about the snowman. And without hearing the scratching in the background of David Bowie trying to escape his attic. Yes. So the snowman, what was that one about? Why do you keep talking about <laughs> Bowie? Is he at the beginning of Snowman? Yes. Oh? Yeah. I don't yeah, think I've well, ever seen the beginning of the Snowman. What well, the hell few... is that? Well, it depends what year you, guys, you watched Guys, what the it. hell is the thing on the toilet? Uh, whatever it is, I think it's dead. <laughs> that was terrifying. Uh, depending on what year you, you taped it off the TV, you either got the version that just starts with the animation or you got this version where the kind of tacked on David Bowie introduces it and it's the idea I'd, is that he, I guess, is the kid all grown up. And, uh, there, were, there were three versions, I think. There was a version with Mel Smith 
and there was a version with Raymond Briggs. So the original one was Raymond Briggs doing basically what he's doing now. And then they just, they stuck Bowie on and people were delighted that the story was about young David Bowie. <laughs> so what were the other two, what happened in the other two versions? I thought the uh, story much the was about thing. that little Welsh kid. So they're in the attic. No, they're not in the attic. I think in, in the, um, in the Raymond Briggs one, he was outside where the snowman starts. So the camera pans to the left and it turns into like an animated version. And in the Mel Smith one, he was, I think he's by a fireplace or something like that. He's been Santa Claus. Oh. So, yeah. Where are we? Uh, where so, yeah, we're London. in London. So this bit isn't actually in the book. I don't know if you guys have the book, the original graphic novel. Mm-mm. Oh, it's a masterpiece in, in terms of... Ah, it, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of work. I've got it in front of me now. There's no kind of making of this, of this particular film. There should be, because, I mean... Every frame is just beautiful. But the book, the actual original book, is outstanding. It's a wonderful piece of work. Did you have the snowman as a kid? Did you guys get it read to you? or? Oh, I had a few of his books growing yeah. up. Like the one, I think that this one would have been perhaps a little dry uh, mm. for me as a young'un. Um but yeah, I like the snowman and um, uh, you know various others. I think there was one I was telling you about uh, last week um, called Unlucky Wally, which was a bit sort of it was more kind of gross-out humor. Yeah, I guess it was maybe I think not for kids really, but like you know in the sense that kids like stuff that's a bit uh, grown up. Um, and Fungus the Bogeyman, uh, <laughs> I was a fan of. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I guess the original Father Christmas um, would have been in amongst them. Where Blooming you? Christmas. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, I remember there being like uh, discrepancies between the Snowman graphic novel and the Snowman animated film, and um, finding that uh, I don't know. I guess it was my introduction to the the artistic license that filmmakers <laughs> take when they adapt uh, graphic works. There you go. But no, this one wasn't one I uh, really I think I had ever really read. Um, but I uh, I am sure, I don't uh, doubt it is indeed a masterpiece. Certainly it feels like it's done um, it works very well as a film. Yeah, it's not really one for reading to your kids, like you know, to get them to sleep, or it's not something that I think you would read as a kid. I think it's it's a book by Raymond Briggs, almost for Raymond Briggs. You know, it, it's it's a autobiographical, well, semi autobiographical. It's a you know biography of his parents, but it's it's not really in a in a format like anything else. It's not like a it's not like a well, it, it's like a comic, but it's you know it's in Raymond Briggs style, so it's. Is it is it fair and safe to call it a comic? Uh, it's laid out like a comic. Um, well, then, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> it's a graphic novel, then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but but not in a kind of. It's not like anything else on the shelf. I'm saying mm-hmm. it, it's it's pretty unique. 
And is it something that you would say is elevated above what people associate with terms like comic and graphic novel? Yeah, I would. I, I, but I, I, I kind of really, I hold this book quite close to my heart. It, it's something that when I heard that they were making a film of this, I went out and bought the book just, just to you know, out of curiosity. And was absolutely delighted by it. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, I can't wait for this to be turned into a film. And then I was filled with dread and terror that it was being turned into a film. And lo and behold, they did an absolutely amazing job of it. It's, you know, it's one of the best adaptations going. What kind of concerns did you have um, about the film adaptation? Uh, just so like usual concerns about adaptations, you know, when, when something's adapted, you usually, there's usually like disappointment with it. However you imagine it in your head, imagine whatever kind of, uh, I think I spoke about this in the last podcast, however much you love the, uh, the book, it's not going to be the same on screen because they're two completely different things. It's like, it's the difference between a painting and a sculpture, you know, they're not going to be the same thing. You experience them differently. Uh, one of the one of the criticisms of this film uh, leveled at it by uh, by sort of critics at the time was that it goes by too fast. Well, yeah, because it's a film. Whereas when you've got a book, you can take your time and you can pause and you can you can read it a chapter at a time or you can you know absorb what's happening. Whereas with with a film, it's continual. Mm. Um. And I, I, I disagree. I think that the pacing of this film's fantastic. Yeah, that's the thing. You can't really take your sort of pacing cues from a book if you're adapting a book. Yeah. Like, you have to really regard it as a whole other... A kind of a clean slate deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Are they married now already? No, not yet. Didn't just but rush soon. into things back in the day. Had uh, to be courting and. Oh, were they meeting someone's parents? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So yeah, um, and and this is the thing about the book, and it, it, it's it's little conversations. That's what it is. It's just all built up around these tiny little conversations. So he's now telling her about what you know. They've just been to Ethel's house. Eth- Ethel is now telling Ernest, uh, Ernest is now telling Ethel about where he lives and about what a, what a dump it is. Uh, and the film's just these tiny moments all stacked up uh, next to one another. And there's no film like it. There's no, the, the characters aren't kind of chasing any sort of MacGuffin. They're not kind of after, you know, something to save the world or they don't have to falling love or any of that type of stuff you're just watching events unfold it, uh, there's no I mean, other I, I film the impression they do like. fall in love yeah but you know how, how there's a film and it's like about two people and it's will they won't they all the way through it's like are they going to fall in love yeah they're in love right let's get on with it next thing right. <laughs> are they going to buy a house going to buy a house yeah next thing what's going to happen gonna now get on to getting onto the property ladder and <laughs> This is the true British romance, like no real romance, <laughs> just going about life in a gradual but consistent way. Keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. So she's just left her job, right? Because she needs, you can't have a job and be married in this, this era, right? Is uh, that what's just happened? I think it couldn't be a, a housemaid and be married. I don't know. Yeah. 
That isn't the sort of thing I found, I think, quite appealing about this film, is that it doesn't really romanticize the era, nor does it romanticize his parents that much. Like, they're presented fairly idiosyncratically. Like, the father maybe less so, but certainly as it goes on, um, you know, some of the stuff that comes out of Ethel's mouth is like, okay, take it down a notch left. <laughs> like it's you know they're very much mindset of the times and not quite understand being i guess ignorant um yeah but back then of course it's the status quo um but the things that she finds bewildering um little sort of social things and the i think need I, to as i think with lots of people who were kind of lower middle class it's sort of desperate to climb that ladder to middle middle class and then maybe live the dream of upper middle class. Yeah, it's the bouquet effect, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bouquet From effect, the... yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed by how much this house looks like every house in Bristol. Yeah, and in Yorkshire. Yeah, just these are very English. I feel like this is a great film to show Americans, like, this is what an English house looks like. We have two rooms. Well, it's like the layout in, in the front room. That's the room that I had when we were at uni. When we had, yeah, you know, yeah, when, yeah, yeah. when you move into the terrace, yeah. In our house, in my student house, this room, the front room in the house was split into two rooms. Mm. But like, through a window. <laughs> oh, God. Like you could, they were sharing a window, essentially. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the layout of this house and it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that would have been Wes's room. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's where the couch was. This is the was. exact same layout of my um, grandparents' house as well. Mm. Like, down to the having that like weird side bit that every house has in this country where we're like, we're extending the yard by having like a metre by metre square rather than giving <laughs> you a bathroom yeah. in the house. Well, you can dig a hole in the yard. <laughs> it was because it was a... a, a like a labourer's entrance so like if your husband was like worked in a mine or something they could come back through the back of the house I believe mm-hmm. so here you go here's the wedding their upside down wedding <laughs> who's that woman uh, no idea let's presume it's one of the mothers yeah, we don't this, really see much of their parents, do we? Yeah, you see, um, his mum turns up. I think that's her on the on the right hand side there. Right. But um, yeah, his his mum turns up, uh, and or his stepmom. And yeah, that, but yeah, and you've just seen her mother earlier on. But yeah, you don't hear much about the fathers or any of that sort of stuff. You don't hear it, much about anyone else. There's a couple of moments where they interact with people uh such as there's a fantastic moment with um uh the guy from the fast show simon day simon day plays a a character that ernest bumps into on his milk round whose wife's going through the menopause and as such is absolutely ravenous for some sexual gratification Uh, and their conversation's amazing and there's there's little moments like that. There's, there's the next door neighbor as well. But the sh- the whole film is based just on these two characters. It's yeah. It's a very quaint film, isn't it? 
it is a quaint film, but it's also a film with an incredible kind of technical achievement as well. I mean, every time the the, the there's a cut, the characters change clothing. I think it's something like up to seventy like clothing changes for the characters. Which, I mean, when you're making a feature film, the characters generally spend spend most of the time in the same clothes. There might be some kind of change, but you know, seventy costume changes. They're getting older. Their 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 hair's changing. How many model sheets is that? How many kind of how much design is that? It's quite a lot. Seventy. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that seventy per character? Per like, character, per yeah. Them? yeah. Yeah. Might be, I imagine that's kind of nice to mix it up a little bit. Hmm. Like if you're working on it, it might get a bit sort of samey if you have to, like, you know, do the same pinny. Whose baby time. is that? They have just a painting of a baby. On I think that, that was the, what the conversation was. I think it was something along the lines of, you know, there's a, there's a little baby up there. We'll have a baby <laughs> one day. Do what you the know. painting tells us. Yeah. <laughs> God, I wish you'd have got a picture of a dog instead. <laughs> It'd be better. I find that really weird, the idea you would just have a random baby's painting in your house. <laughs> a lot. If I came home with one, it would take a bit of... I've done this mural of a baby. Whose baby is it? Mm. It's the baby I just saw today. It's a baby today. for the room. There's <laughs> a very dark couch set for such a bright room. Hmm. <laughs> I love that you're just throwing shade at the interior decoration. What were you thinking, Ethel? <laughs> also, why have you gone from blue tiles in a room that's pink, like green, pink, and orange? They didn't know any better, Laura. Well, no, <laughs> it's, the, a, it's it a proper old-fashioned, like saying green and blue should never go. No, it's is that a green same? and red, yeah. isn't it? Is it green and red? Is no, and green yellow, yellow, and, yellow and green should never be seen. That's it. Green and blue is also not a good combo. At the time, it was... But why wouldn't you have gone for green tiles? Just say. Random baby. baby Let's see how the actual baby measures up. They didn't get one, did they? Ah. They had uh, issues. Issues. What are they saying? They're saying something about the baby painting. So he's just asked the question that you guys why asked. Do we have why is there a painting? picture? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like up. And she's like, it's a mission statement. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> it's motivation. <laughs> so we don't forget what we're meant to be doing as husband and wife. We've got too many rooms in this house and it's too quiet. Get a dog. That looks... That uh, stop looks really familiar. It looks to me like uh, a sail. Yes, I was thinking that. Yeah, sail near the um, the Cosgrove Hall Films Archive. Yeah, uh, yeah. The waterside, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, as we go through the film, obviously, history follows them, or they follow history. I don't know how history works. But, uh, yeah. No, there's, they're there's, making the history. <laughs> they're making history. They're so not. What? This is it. This is the great thing about it, is they're not. They're, they're not forced to... 
be in that position. Where Ernest are we now? Ernest doesn't have to go and fight Hitler or anything. Like era-wise? Uh, 40s. Okay. Yeah. I love this. Uh, this is the thing I like about this film is this idea where um, over time they get more and more things because that's how it was. It's like you didn't generally start off with everything you needed to start a house. Yeah. You slowly built up over over time and that's why, you know, older generation people have really nice, proper, solid pieces of, like, furniture and stuff and they really take care of them as well because they had to save for literally years for everything mm. they owned. Yeah. Which is just not the case nowadays. Because we yeah, just everything's buy a bit everything from away, Ikea. <laughs> well, we just buy everything from Ikea. Yeah. Straight off the bat. And over time, you might replace certain things, but generally, we don't have to work super hard to get, like, a full house worth of furniture. Or we inherit mm. everything from our grandparents. Yeah, when I was a kid, I remember having uh, a big table and chairs, and we had grandfather clocks and all that lot. We had a, a house about the size of this one. But, um, yeah, we, I remember all, all that. They sped through her pregnancy, didn't they? <laughs> well, they got fit fifty years in the film, Laura. <laughs> yeah, but like, they can't dwell on nine months. Well, pregnancy has to happen in real time. <laughs> well, no, it's just that they, you know, like you know, we had a minute ago. We had like two years going, like oh, no baby, and now we're like oh, baby, it's a hot air balloon of a bear. There's Ooh. a there's a little detail there. Um, obviously, uh, in terms of. Uh, Squiggly, we've done a lot of coverage on this film and we were really lucky to interview uh, the the director, the the late, great um, Roger Mainwood, um, but also direct the anim- uh, interview the animation director, uh, Peter Dodds. And the way that Ernest is holding the milk bottles and the way that he picked them up, Peter sent me pages and pages from his sketchbook of how he worked out how the character picked up the milk bottles and he was really close to that because his dad was a milkman as well so whenever you interviewed or talked to somebody at lupus about the film there was always a connection there was always something that they really kind they were drawn to in the film well lupus has a sort of particular relationship i guess with these raymond briggs adaptations uh Mm. certainly a lot of the personnel that's worked on the recent ones some of them they go all the way back to the snowman that's Um, right and i guess roger roger mainwood i think worked on the snowman as well didn't he Uh, i'm not entirely sure about that he might he may well have done Uh, i mean not you know not in the same capacity no no happening here uh, she's telling him that they're, t- they're telling him no more babies. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, Roger uh, was a uh, an animator on The Snowman. He was also an animator on Heavy Metal, which is the complete opposite <laughs> of the film we're watching now. Was it a particular segment? Uh, the uh, Grimaldi So Beautiful and So Dangerous segment. What was that bit? The so beautiful and so dangerous segment, I think, was the end. You know, when the woman's going around in the sort of leather bikini slicing heads off green men. Oh, yeah, dragon lady. Uh, And the Grimaldi bit, I don't know. I can't remember the Grimaldi bit. I might have to give that a little quick Google. Uh, 
Um, Grimaldi. Oh, right. Oh, yes, it was the... It was basically the dad at the beginning of the film who gave his daughter the awful globe that killed people. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. More wholesome, family-oriented yeah. animation business. <laughs> it's Mary Poppins. So this is his mum, right? This is his mum, yeah. Coming to help with the baby, or...? Uh, come to get in the way. Yeah. That's what they did. Show the young folk how it's done. <laughs> Just give her a damn good gaslighting. <laughs> There's a, I mean, I recognise a lot of Ethel and Ernest in in my grandma and granddad who are still with yeah, us, which is same. great. Because the way that they are acting, the way that they're even dressing, you know, that's the way my grandma and granddad dress. But the way what this mother's doing now in giving them coal, just a tiny bit of coal, and bringing them bottles of stout stems from there's a victorian attitude isn't it that's a kind of you know even further she's talking about why the people are in the wireless and how she doesn't want them to hear her it's great it's you know it's, it's a nice hi- history lesson as we we're saying it's a bit of foreshadowing as well for like later on when um when the baby's all grown up and is like sort of uh, irritated by how they're not as aware of the current times and how they've now become old and like they're obviously giggling because she doesn't understand technology as it is at that time what really has been exceptionally done with this as a production is just how well the digital production pipeline has kind of given it that feeling of mm. you know older adaptations um it feels very i mean if you keep your eyes open you see little things like the wheel here is looks cg but generally speaking everything's been put together absolutely perfectly and just the approach to the painting and the line work is, is just lovely. i have a very prevailing memory of this after the first time i saw it which is bricks there's bricks and bricks and bricks. There's a ton of exposed brickwork. Yeah. Um, <laughs> being a big sort of crucial part of, I guess, the general aesthetic of the village um, they're in. I feel like this is a very um, of-era scene of her absolutely shattered and him just sat there having a cigarette. <laughs> it was a cup of tea, love. Mm. <laughs> it was the... When, when I did a, a tour of the studio, one of the, um, I think it was Luxembourg, who they worked on the backgrounds of the film. And they gave Raymond Briggs the nickname Raymond Bricks because <laughs> of the attention to detail in the film. And they were sick of drawing bricks. <laughs> I feel like that was a weird point. So in the last scene, when the baby's in the pram and crying, he's brunette and now he's blonde. The babies go brunette, then blonde and then brunette again. Can do. Well, like, a newborn baby would start off perhaps with dark hair that would then fall Lighten. out and then get blonde hair that would get dark. Because, I, yeah, I think that was how it was with me. You had no hair when you were born. You looked like a little egg. No, you're right. I, I was a complete egg. Yeah, <laughs> I did, I, I've I just never known that. And then got like, normally if, so. like, a kid is born with really dark hair, they just stay dark. Mm-hmm. But if they have blonde hair, sometimes it goes dark. Like, I had blonde hair when I was a 
little. Yeah, you were really blonde. Yeah. Really good. That completely changed. And also, why is he blonde if both of his parents are brunette? You, it can't be the milkman, because he is the milkman. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an alibi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think he needs the wee. Help me. It's some good animation, isn't there? Yeah. That would have been a fun one to do. She's still get, got time to tell him off on the what steps as he's, he's, he's bursting. <laughs> I mean, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm like uncomfortable watching this. What's happening? Like, Let him kiss. He's like six. I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, <laughs> who, who, who'd want to go in the school toilets? I don't know if your school was the same. I could piss in the school toilets. Just well, yeah, girls, so everyone could. Everyone would piss on the walls and the ceiling and everywhere else. And that's why you couldn't go to the toilet for anything else. Jesus, what was your school? The secret was to find the toilets that no one knew about. Yeah. And they were pristine. And mine, it was the toilets in the music hall. Uh <laughs> No one ever went in there, and they were absolutely spotless. And I would just go there. I'd tell teachers I had, like, a, a music lesson, and I'd just go there and scuff off and listen to music and draw. Just so like, sat on the toilet. So going for, going for a music lesson is like a euphemism now. It's like, it's, where it you going? I just for a music like, lesson. <laughs> music lessons never meant you were learning music. <laughs> it meant you were play, pressing the DJ button. <laughs> yeah, hit and shuffle <laughs> on the uh, on the disc man. Because I'm old. I feel like this kid is younger now. All of a sudden, like he was a he looks like a toddler now, but he was just in school a minute ago. Well, that's a point. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's a short maybe body it's, maybe it's just the swim costume because it just makes him look babyfied in a way that we you know we don't have onesies for boys now. He read a bit like a toddler in that scene, and he read older in the scene that came before it. Yeah. I want that wallpaper. It looks like you're having, like, a psychotic break. Or, like, you know that thing where you get, like, weird colours and sharp with your eyes? Yeah, like a ocular migraine. Yeah. It looks like synesthesia, but as wallpaper. Or cataracts. Oh, like a pigeon. Hello. What's the colour test? Sorry, what was that? What's the colour test? Where, you, where there's loads of the, like, similar... Oh, yeah, the colour blindness thing. Yeah, yeah yes. with the numbers. Yeah, yeah, that, looks, <laughs> that is exactly what it looks like. That's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> Someone I work with is coloured. And I don't know Hilarious. why. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, another co-worker was just putting up, like... Um, uh, coloured messages that he couldn't read. Oh, <laughs> he no. Out which colours blend together. <laughs> it was so mean. Because <laughs> he's just seeing these, these like square blocks of like this sort of yellowy brown colour. And... He's like, what's his name is a knob. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Very high class. <laughs> you know. If you can't read it's this, all you're a loser. <laughs> what are they doing? The blocking up and block blacking out, uh, just in case bombs go off. So that'll uh, that'll sort you out. Yeah, when the bomb drops. 
So this film was up against When the Wind Blows, which is all about a bomb dropping. Mm. And it's, I, I said earlier on, on, on Twitter to Aaron, it, it's it's probably one of the weirdest lineups we've had because it's basically Raymond Briggs's mum and dad versus Raymond Briggs's mum and dad. Yeah, I think that was kind of what we were yeah. going for. But it, it it's you, you see a lot of that in Raymond Briggs's work. Apparently, if you look at the mum in The Snowman, that's Ethel. In fact, mm. uh, Fungus the Bogeyman is based on Ethel as well. <laughs> Because she had, apparently she had quite <laughs> a wide nose, <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, like Gentleman Jim is uh, the character from When the Wind Blows as well. So I think When the Wind Blows is a sequel to Gentleman Jim, <laughs> and uh, Ernest makes a, an appearance in Father Christmas as well. So it's yeah, like it's a uh, um, uh, in-universe thing. What do they call that? Yeah, shared universe. universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that has to do with the fact that he was an only child, and I think if you are an only child, you do tend to be a lot closer to your parents and have a lot more dynamic relationships with them. Because, especially if like like you, we sort of see in this that his extended family doesn't really seem to be part of their world that much. Yeah. Um, and whether that's why. Did you Did you feel? Maybe that um, uh, different to kids who grew up in a house with loads of kids. Because you're an only child, aren't you, Laura? Yeah. Uh, I think my mum put a lot of effort into making sure I was socialised because of that fact. And my mum was one of ten. Right. So, and I think she would have liked to have had a lot more children. But similarly to Ethel, wasn't able to. Hmm. Um, So I think she put in a lot of effort to make sure I was, um, you know, always. And my mum was very good with children, so I think she was keen on, like, I always had lots of sleepovers and I was always allowed around people's houses and had people over for tea. And especially as for a lot of my childhood, I grew up on, like, a, a farm in the middle of nowhere. Um, so it could have made it even harder. Mm. And I think I only really remember missing other children or wishing I'd had a sibling like once and then sort of uh, like asking my mum why and her explaining why we don't and then I was like oh okay I'll just never bring that up again Um, not because I was like traumatised or anything but just because I was just like oh okay I understand it's not an option great okay Hmm. Um, but otherwise it didn't really bother me and I think you know that's a very classic idea of an only child that they can either be A lonely or B uh, they can be quite selfish or they can be quite internalised because they're not used to, you know, it's that common thing you're quite worried that they won't know how to share properly because they haven't had to. Hmm. Um, but I think probably the only thing I would say about only children is that we tend to be a little bit more sensitive um, and sensitive to the emotions of others because we sort of brought, having been raised by our parents and only our parents and not having that uh, kind of thing that you sometimes have when, uh, if you have brothers and sisters, that kind of like mean-spiritedness that you can sometimes have whilst you're growing up because you're kind of like, you're constantly having to compete for your parents' attention. Yeah. And love, and not that obviously you don't, they love you all the same, but it's more that time and that energy of theirs. Um not having had that word just so I, I am personally more aware of it in others and uh, I find the dynamics between 
um, siblings really interesting because it's just something I have absolutely no frame of reference for. Mm. And so, like, when you have people who's like really don't get on with their siblings, I find that really fascinating because I'm like, how aren't you basically the same person? I think well, that's sometimes a bit of the problem. Like, sometimes people don't necessarily like to see certain reflections of themselves. And also there's <laughs> that, like, thing of, like, if you've had a boy and a girl, then they can basically see themselves as the opposite gender if they if they have a very close, uh, like, age gap. Or then they have the opposite of, like, people that have really big age gaps and it becomes less like a, a sibling and more like a, a, another parent. And if you have, like, three, there's, like, the middle child syndrome. And all of that I just find really fascinating because it's just not something... I have any frame of reference for because I, I had both my parents and I had all of their attention all the time. Yeah. And they were both very, very involved um, with me. We didn't, we had, well, there's three of us and the eldest. I've got two younger brothers. And I, <laughs> you talk about middle child syndrome there. I don't, I think we had eldest child and youngest child syndrome. And the middle <laughs> kid just sat in the middle going, <laughs> Losers. Right. <laughs> like I don't, I don't really care about these two guys. Was because <laughs> me and me and uh, me and Robert, we were constantly at each other's throats because it's like four years age difference. Uh, we'd get on, we'd all get on, but if all three of us were together, we'd be like Tom and Jerry. It would, yeah, chase around the house with meat cleavers and things like that. <laughs> Yeah, and also the fact that you were all boys as well, and it, maybe it would have been different if one of you had been a girl, or you know. Yeah. And it also depends on like where in the you know age range that is. Like if it's if there's an, like Ben has an older sister, but what the difference might have been if he'd been the eldest and that kind of thing. I find it very interesting. Mm. Um, but I find it interesting because more people have more of a concern about having a child and like not having other ones, especially if they come from a having had siblings and stuff like, oh, but they'll miss so much. And I'm like, no, they won't. They'll just make really good friends because mm. friendship just means a lot more to, I think, an only child because you, we don't have that person directly involved with us or people tend to get really close with cousins and stuff but i didn't really have that either because we didn't live near really any of my cousins even though your mum's got 500 million brothers and sisters yeah i have like <laughs> something like 32 cousins but whoa you were far away from yeah all, there, all so. of them <laughs> and even my dad isn't an only child he has a sister so hmm. um but both of my parents moved away from home quite early like at like 16 17 so because they were both in the military. Yeah. I've got something like 30 cousins, I think. Yeah. And they've all started having kids as well, so... It, it, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, you the, lose track, don't you? If I'd start doing the family tree, but I'd run out of ink. Yeah, I tried doing that when I was like 18. I was like, oh, the maths. Like, I, yeah. I, on last count, I think it was like something like 32, but they've all had kids. And my grandma has something like seven great-grandchildren as well. And some of those have children now. Hmm. So it's just like, ah, uh, fuck it. <laughs> it's too <laughs> it much. It stops here. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when people start, like, remarrying and stuff, and you're just like, oh, God. I'll never know. Yeah. Where the, my dad's side of the family is, like, me. Mm. And because my, I think my grandfather had three siblings, three or four siblings, and my grandmother had one 
but on my pretty much on my granddad's side, I'm like the last of the Cowleys, which is why I kept my last name. Oh, right. Okay. Because uh, all part of the reason I kept my last name when me and Ben got married is because there are no other Cowley children. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's to try and keep that going. But the fact that I kept my last name, I think, confused my grandfather Cowley more than anyone else. It confused the heck out of our... We, we're, not, we're not talking about the film anymore. We're talking about... <laughs> it's confused everyone that uh, Jen's not taken my name. Everyone mm. in our family. And I've been made to feel quite like as if it's not a masculine thing, as if it's something that I should be ashamed of. Not through my family, oh, really? but for, yeah, not through my family. My family have been really good with it. Um, but with people who, all oh, right, okay, so they'll call me Mr. Hall because Jen will do all the stuff, you know, she'll order stuff and then somebody will come to the door and go, oh, are you Mr. Hall? I'm like, no. Or like, you know, so like, oh right, but are you are you married? What what's what's going on here? You it's funny how that we went on still confuses people yeah. in this day and age. You're like, it's not really that weird. I think if someone came to the door and said, "Are you Mr. Cowley?" because he'd place you, I'd be like, "Yep, yeah." yeah. Well, half yeah. the time the delivery guys are like, they look at me and they're like, "Laura," and I'm like, "That's me." <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't <laughs> tell like, me any. Chicken, please. You can't tell me any different. <laughs> <laughs> Laura with a beard. Yep. <laughs> Why the fuck? I think they don't want to question it in this day and age. You land yourself in hot water. Exactly, and especially in this day and age, it's like you can't really question anything because I can. I could be banana fruitcake if I wanted. Like it's up to me. I support that decision. I think the difficulty comes if you start having children. It's like, oh Christ, what am I going to double barrel? How we we could have been the hender holes. How do you double barrel that? Yeah, Yeah. yours is quite nice. What do they call yeah. that? Two word, make two words into one word. A portmanteau. Yeah. What should our portmanteau be? Michowley? Michowley. <laughs> it sounds Cow- like a weird Italian they name. They both sound a bit like dirty. Cowitchell sounds like some sort of disease of the crotch. <laughs> like I've got the cowitch. Bo- E45 for my cowlitchell. Cowlitchell sounds <laughs> like a bovine again. form of thrush. How would you catch that? <laughs> well, don't answer that. The cow would catch we it. We all know how you'd catch it. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the nice thing about having an older sister is it sort of it removes any kind of surprises that a lot of friends of mine who didn't encountered when they started dating and mm. the version of, you know, what they think um, being around women is and the reality of it. Because, you know, especially when you're kind of a young kid and you really kind of deify women you fancy and stuff. And it was a bit of a crushing shock to a few of my sort of idiot friends when they'd realize, oh, they're human beings with, um, you know, a multifaceted array of uh, emotions and whatnot, what's and all kind of thing. <laughs> and I think um, having the sort of earlier exposure to, you know, uh, older female relative and her friends who were the same age as her sort of growing up, that was, um, that was I think, an important thing. Because yeah. de- I think it definitely sort of made me, um, I don't know, more empathetic, mm. perhaps, than oh. I might have been others. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. That's how you catch bovine thrush. <laughs> Swine thrush. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I find the brothers thing is is one of those because again, you you being an only child, not knowing any any sort of frame of reference for sibling relationships, but. Yeah, like, the idea of brothers is a completely alien thing to me. Mm. Um, you know, would it be... Because, you know, how I find I, I generally gravitate more toward women than men when it comes to just sort of general friendships. Mm. Would that have been different if I'd had brothers? Probably. If I'd had a bad relationship with my sister, would I have a bad attitude towards yeah, women? Yeah, it's all... It's amazing how much you're... Fa- and I think that's kind of the point of this film as well, is just how incredibly defined by his family he is yeah. and and clearly throughout all his artwork he's very influenced by his parents and in this film they are just normal people like nothing particularly special happened to them their entire lives yeah there's no cool like you were saying earlier steve there's no cool to be answered there's yeah no, um other than just getting on with it but it sort of shows you i think like the point of most of his work as well is the spectacularness of the average person. Hmm. Like how every life is interesting and how every life is special in a way. Yeah. Um, to the people who care, you know? There's always, I think in his, <laughs> in his work though, there's always an element of the uh, of fantasy. There's always a bit of magic in there. And there's no magic in Ethel and Ernest. The magic is Ethel and Ernest in terms of, you know, that that's... Yeah, the, the magic is what you just described there, Laura. Whereas in The Snowman, there's a magical snowman. And Father Christmas, it's Father Christmas. And, you know, all there's always a... Uh, the bear, for example, or, you know, it's always a story about a solitary child who finds a magical creature and then learns about death. <laughs> You know? yeah, in all any of his films, do, the, do any of the kids have siblings, or are they all only children? In the books, it's it's he generally writes, you know, from the heart, doesn't he? Or from mm, writes what he knows. I was just thinking, there's the man, and that guy's that kid is an only child, and then in Grandpa, it's an only child as well. Yeah. Has anyone yeah. ever seen the uh, Grandpa animation? Yes, years ago though. That's like one of my earliest animation memories. I don't know how or where I saw it. I must have watched it on like TV. Hmm. But I, it was like a real like weird thing when I rediscovered it when I was studying illustration at uni. And I was like, oh my God, that's a thing that I remember from my childhood that I'd completely forgotten until I started looking at his work. Because hmm. uh, I was specifically looking for books that dealt with uh, death. Yeah. And I was like, oh... Oh yeah, I remember this. I just remember it being absolutely beautiful and it's very loose watercolour, just montage almost, about a little girl and her grandfather. Yeah. Um, And that's a beautiful story. But the artwork for that is really weird. Like, it's really scrappy. Like, the in the book, not the um, animation. Yeah. Like, it's very different to the rest of his stuff. Another thing this film, I think, does really well, going back to the overall look of it, you look at it and you think, oh, Raymond Briggs. But if you were to kind of take the illustrations from the book and hold them sort of right up to it, um, there's quite a lot that's been done to make it animation-friendly in service to the kind of production pipeline. 
And I, th- I think the person mainly responsible for that is Robin Shaw. Yes. Um, is that the same guy that we've, we talked to about the target who came to tea? Yeah. He, yeah. That, I mean, that, that was sort a, of thing. that would have been such a hard art style. Like, they do a really good job of it, but the original artwork for that book, A, being so, like, iconic, but also really wishy-washy. Hmm. This or Tiger Who Came to Tea? Tiger Who Came to Tea. Yeah. We, I mean, when we spoke to him, we kind of broke that down a bit, but I, they found a, a way of making it work really well. Um, and I think sort of similarly here. Um, that angel's little... really familiar. From Is that in something else? I'm not sure. We think it's like Raggy Dolls or something like that. Yeah, but like <laughs> s- specifically seeing it animated. Mm. It must a little, be... snowman, uh, little snowman cameo coming up now. Just... Uh, mm. There you go. Oh, yeah. The snowman. Aww. Of course. Oh, oh my God. Chris, Christmas cake that's not absolutely covered in icing. Right, question. Christmas cake, with yeah. cheese or without cheese? Without. Have you ever heard of it with cheese? What, I've in heard... the cake or just on the side? On not a slice, of, cake, slice of cheese on top of the cake. Fruit cake with cheese, but I've, I've yeah. heard of, but not Christmas cake with like icing as well and marzipan? Yeah. yeah. Ugh, no. I, I'm not a fan. I'm, a, of any I'm aware of, of it, but cake. it's always like made me feel a bit nauseous. Give me a nice girthy chocolate log. Yeah, you don't <laughs> like fruit cake at all. You would have I not. Like, I like certain fruit cakes, but I don't like Christmas. Cake. No, it's, it's, it's very rich and dense. Mm. <laughs> Take that seasonal culinary conventions. There's so many things to do with like Christmas, like that you don't like that is such a tradition in my family like well, like brussels sprouts like brussels sprouts like brussels sprouts really my mum loved brussels sprouts i quite like brussels sprouts but also like fish always having fish for like a starter having a starter <laughs> is quite weird for your family yeah the fish starter on christmas day was a new one on me it's prawns uh for us it was always salmon yeah yeah like, that's that's right as well yeah yeah, smoked salmon on smoked like salmon, yeah. on like a kind of blini type thing. I think yeah. we'd have a, a giant breakfast very early in the morning, and then quite late in the day have Christmas dinner. So we weren't really yeah. Well, we didn't really have big breakfast. We'd have like yeah. either crumpets or fresh made bread or something like that. When mm. Christmas was a uh, one-two punch of our sort of teen years, and we would have Christmas morning at Dad's, and then have the rest of Christmas at Mum's. And that, I think, was when it was complete sort of excess. We would have Chinese food on uh, Christmas Eve. Mm. And then a big, like, pancakey, syrupy brunch in the morning. Oh, Christ. And then go over to Mum's and then have, you know, this much more <laughs> traditional. Because um, we didn't really have decorations up at Dad's. We had, like, a little uh, two-foot plastic tree See, with, like, a little mini like, inflatable woman on the <laughs> these top. These are all, like, weird abominations that I feel like I'm fine with now. But, like, if we have children, I'll be, like, so, like, nope. Only the traditions. I think that only worked because it was me and my sister and my dad. Yeah. And our sort of particular... Brand um, of non-Christmassy Christmas. But also, we didn't have an issue with then going over and doing it traditionally. Yeah. Mums who loved filling up the room with the most, you know... Ornate. Giant, least eco-friendly dead <laughs> trees you could find. <laughs> and foily uh, wrapping paper. Um, I had a little look on uh, online, 
And uh, there's a really nice repository of artwork from the film on Robin Shaw's website. If you go to robinpshaw.com, um, mm. there's a whole gallery of like previs and color scripts and background art on its own and stuff. And it's quite satisfying to sort of drink it all in. If people are looking online as well, uh, Roger Mainwood basically blocked <coughs> this entire film from right at the beginning, right the way through. Uh, to Does anyone else its find it slightly weird that all the glass exploded in the door, but the roses are totally fine? Um, not until you pointed it out. <laughs> like, wouldn't they be like scorched or dead or on fire or something? I don't know. With a bomb blast, it's sound, isn't it, that does the? the oh, the, the, okay. I thought know, it like punches the glass through. Nearer. Yeah. Well, you think that the, if it's sound violent enough to do that to glass, it would it would throw some petals into disarray, would it not? That's what I would have thought. But anyhow, just saying. Just if there are any um, uh, gardening professionals out there. Who know the uh, the endurance levels of roses during wartime? Get in touch. I'll be waiting for them to get in touch. Is that what that pause was? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, in terms of a a kind of a British animated fe- feature film, it's quite a. It's quite a special thing, isn't it? We don't really have a an established history until Aardman came along in this country of a singular animation company or, you know, there was no Disney, wasn't was there, in the UK. And so we've got a kind of... Even though Raymond Briggs' work appears throughout, you know, When the Wind Blows and, uh, you know, TVC obviously linked to When the Wind Blows did Yellow Submarine and all that sort of stuff. There's no, there's no kind of, there's no Disney churning out feature films, is there in the UK? Uh, I guess the closest would be someone like Hells and Bachelor, but they weren't like throwing out a feature a year. Yeah, they did. Um, well, they did the, a couple of features during the war for, but it, they were just for people. They were training videos, yeah, and then yeah. they did um, Animal Farm and Ruddy Gore, I believe, was feature length. Mm. But nothing of a kind of Disney level. And apart from Aardman, there's, you know, obviously um, Locksmith are on the way. You know, there's a lot of promise coming from Locksmith. Um, And, you know, we've seen some of the stuff from there. It looks great. But there's no kind of real kind of... It's not the same competition. We we joked at the beginning of this film about all the different film film funding bodies that are, uh, you know, throwing the weight behind this film. It's different over here, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a whole other beast. I mean, any sort of country that isn't the States really will but have... But then the other sort of flip side of that is that in America, they do have these massive studios like DreamWorks, Disney, whatever else, but they don't seem to have as many opportunities for something like this to be made. Like, they don't seem to have as many funding bodies as we do as in Europe to allow slightly more unusual things to be you know funded and created in a more artsy way rather than the entire intention of it being like to be in every single home and enjoyed by every single child living hmm 
and otherwise it's not a success you know yeah yeah so i think that's kind of and that's that's a very common trait of i think britain in general in all forms of art is you know we we create work that we want to create not necessarily giving too much of a a hooter if it is like the most successful film ever made like if it is great but that doesn't seem to be our mo like we want it to obviously turn a profit and you know not bankrupt us but yeah we just want to keep the animators uh in it with a bit more money don't we, we want to make sure you can make another film we, yeah. we don't necessarily want to walk down the street and go past the ethel and Ernest shop because uh, you know they just want to be able to make something that like keeps them employed yeah. It's all about being able to make the next film because we enjoy the process of making a film. Yeah. You know, it's not like you can get Ethel and Ernest pencil boxes and stuff, is it? Which is a shame. Like, we're not just merchandising everything. It's a, just a different logic, and I think it it's something that sometimes gets skirted off, skirted yeah. over both, you know, when you first come into animation, maybe as a student, and sometimes slightly in academia that that's not the be-all and end-all of... At what makes an animation worthwhile yeah success how isn't it, financial yeah how it succeeded in the box office not so much in the academia of animation itself like if you're an animation academic but if you look at it as a film industry uh, the way we approach making films is I would say quite different to how someone like Disney or DreamWorks would mm. like is this a story will it sell how well will it sell which is why Lyco is a bit of a anomaly as well like that doesn't seem to be their main motivator for making work it is not like obviously they want people to enjoy it and and to speak to audiences but it's not about making all the money Mm. they got that shoe money though yeah i mean they'd also be kind of like slightly in trouble if they actually needed to turn like a decent profit on every film yeah because that doesn't seem to be a thing they've done, but we're 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 at the point in the in the film where all the kind of little stories come together. This is this is the point I mentioned earlier on with um with the character of Alf, the, uh, who, the uh, Randy, uh, yeah, housewife. But yeah, um, it's fascinating as well that in terms of the design of this film and the layout and putting it all together, is that in the book this is you just see the faces of of. Ernest and Ralph and they're just talking to one another you don't see the house you don't see the garden you don't see the street but they've created that for this film and it's pretty pretty good you know in in terms of kind of padding it out and the detail that's gone into it this story I find confusing did did his dad tell him this story it's in the book but I don't know how it came to Raymond Briggs it's a good it's a good question maybe he did maybe he didn't I mean his his dad's betrayal in the film is like as if he was a bit more of a laugh than his mum was. His mum was quite, like Prim. I said early on, bouquetish. Yeah. But that was probably because she was, you know, a maid, and they went through a lot of training and and had to and experience the fine things in life, but like on the side. Yeah. And so they sort of were. Raise, uh, you know, and this is also going back to the time when, like, if she, you know, stayed in school, they would have been taught how to, like, iron for, like, an mm. actual class and, like, ironing and cooking and housework and stuff because, and it was all about doing things properly because the idea was either you would become a wife 
or you'd be a maid. Yeah. Those were kind of your options. Or maybe you'd become a secretary. Hmm. I think oh no. there's little, the little turnaround stories now, obviously. Um, <laughs> Ethel was showing off about um, how Raymond was going to this posh school and everything. And, and now all of a sudden we've got the police turning up on the doorstep. And so you'll have the neighbour who was... There's the one-upmanship, isn't there? There's the keeping up with the Joneses going on here between uh, between the neighbours, but also between Ethel and Ernest. And one of the things I love so much about this film is that kind of that class struggle between the pair of them. Mm. How, like, say, Ethel is very um, hyacinth bouquet. She's very kind of, um, you know, uh, earlier on in 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 the in the film, you saw Raymond go, "I'm Labour mum," and. Ethel went shush dear you know so that there's that real kind and earlier on when uh, you know right at the very beginning was it Ernest calling shouting bloated plutocrats to the uh, to the, the the people that um Ethel used to work for and what did just he do? sorry what did he do like why was he brought home by the police uh, I don't know but she's she's telling the she's telling the neighbors now that he was helping with her investigation. <laughs> Let's just say, say he did some sort of 1950s crime, 1940s, 1950s crime. He took stole something like from a, a penny suite. He stole a penny <laughs> from the tuck shop. <laughs> <laughs> he burnt down a cricket pavilion. He killed six people. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> he shot a dog straight in the eye. The 17 <laughs> prostitutes in a ditch. <laughs> We need to talk about Raymond. <laughs> Shame was such a big thing back then. Like, you know, you could you would feel shame over such ridiculous things. It's mm. come back into fashion. It yeah. sure do. I think for our generation, it's kind of very weird to think, like, I couldn't imagine giving a fuck what my neighbours thought of me. Couldn't give a shit. <laughs> like, yeah, get, I don't get, even know who my neighbours are. I think yeah. I've seen my na- like in the entire time we've had been in quarantine. I, we have a neighbour who we basically share a balcony with. I still have never seen him. Because <laughs> why? Yeah. <laughs> why would we? How would we? Like, I've been amazed that we just haven't like been on the balcony at the same time. You know, yeah. but like, I don't give a shit. Well, it's different in a flat, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, they'd be the same. Like you just, you all surely all you hope for in a neighbour is that they're not a wanker. Yeah, no, they don't like, do they're, anything they're, too loud up against the wall. Yeah, and they're not like throwing <laughs> crap into your garden or whatever. Like, yeah. and they might take in a parcel. Like, I'd like to be friendlies with my neighbours. Like, I know all my neighbours back home and like where I grew up. But the idea of caring that like, they had an opinion of you one way or the other because of how you something very slight, like you know what time you put your um because i remember this being like a thing like what time you put your like things out to dry like if it was a bit late it was like, oh someone's had a lying kind of thing. like fuck off good <laughs> <laughs> like now if someone was like oh you know nice to see you like having a lazy day are we fuck off marjorie like what the hell yeah i only ever had um Neighbours once, like actual sort of neighbour neighbours when I was in a sort of like flat in a house kind of thing. And um, it was a guy who lived alone with his daughter. And 
occasionally the daughter would knock on my door because um, she'd have dropped something in the uh, garden and my flat went out onto the garden so I could pick it up and give it back to her. But um, hers was kind of like a, basically because it wasn't her garden, essentially. She had to sort of come and knock on my door. And then one time I opened the door and it was her and she was surrounded by like 12 of her mates all the same age. There's nothing more fucking terrifying than being like a, a man in his early 20s, a student opening the door and there's 12, 12 year old girls <laughs> just in front of you. What's going to happen? Hi, Mr. Mitchell. <laughs> I haven't done anything. I don't know what you, don't hurt me. <laughs> Stand at least a meter back, girls. Have they put... Oh, no, it's a lampshade. I thought they put a blanket over the weird baby photo. <laughs> no, they're at the, the moment in the film where he's announced that he wants to go to art school and there's quite a bit of humour in their... Uh, in, in their reaction to that. But back then, that really was, like, a big, like, what? The ignominy. Like, it wasn't. It was when I went to art school. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for ruined, you're wasting your life. Where's where are my parents from? <laughs> it also always seemed like his dad was fine with it, but his mum was like, "Oh, the indignity." Yeah, yeah. But his yeah. dad was like, "If he wants to, as long fine. as he's all right, yeah, if he's happy." Like he's not hurting anyone. Yeah. And it's also funny to think about that in, like, that era because, like, there was loads of work for, like, a, as a commercial artist just doing, like... Because back then there were no computers and so they needed a lot more people to do things. Yeah. <laughs> like, just doing type layout and stuff. The more the more I do watch Ethel and Ernest, the more I see my grandma and granddad in it. The, my granddad yeah. would, would was so happy with what... You know, so long as you were happy, he didn't care. My grandma was happy in his happy... But would be happier if you know I was a manager somewhere with in a, with a job for life. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. That type of thing. I think mothers and grandmothers in general just worry a lot more. I think even to an extent, being much younger, of course. But your mother, I think, was r- always more relieved when I had contract work. Yeah, like a like, proper stable. Rather than sort of doing. I think the, her, her the best thing you could have done in life was say, "I work at a studio now," and it's like, "Yes." <laughs> I, I have a pension I think that was the worst yeah. she was waiting to hear it's <laughs> just a single tear <laughs> like my baby's not going to end up in the poor house <laughs> yeah working for working for the university was a was a kind of big deal for my <laughs> the, that, that was it you know oh, it's, so you, you, you have to be up for nine do you you have to be in work for nine o'clock <laughs> you, know, you, you can't be sort of getting up at half eleven and then <laughs> Starting work at four and then f- clocking off at half six <laughs> with your PhD nonsense. You've got his hair now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is what Ben's I've hair looks like now. the Raymond Briggs mullet. <laughs> it's exactly that. Like, it yeah, flips out the ends. Out the size. Proper Joe Exotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the fact that she's, like, so concerned about what her neighbour thinks, but her neighbour's fine. She doesn't give a shit. <laughs> she's just looking because she's just bricks. looking at things because like what else is there to do she's been at home she doesn't seem to have a husband or children she's been there all this time so desperate for her friendship it's like I just want to be friends fuck off Marjorie 
<laughs> Stop judging me and my family. I'm not. I'm just really lonely. <laughs> so you see they're getting on now. Mm. Time think, is uh, ticking away. I think it... I think that's a, one of the good things about this film in terms of the voice acting as well. I think that, you know, uh, Jim Broadbent and Brenda Blethyn do an amazing job uh, as an ageing couple. You know, when Jim Broadbent's a young man in this, there's a lot of energy in him. There's a lot of kind of, you know, a spirit to him. And as he gets older, his voice slows down and he plays it really well. Yeah. Hmm. As the, yeah, there's a to and fro in here with the Labour government stuff. There's your Tory cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I think my grandma had this exact outfit. Yeah. Well, like I say, my grandma's probably wearing that now. <laughs> yeah, the voice thing is important. I think like it, it can kind of, if you have sort of command of different ages, that's a real skill. And I think people can be fantastic performers and actors. Um, but if there's a point where they can't play a certain age, I think can really work against the character. Mm. Um, like there was a project, um, uh, well, we've probably talked about it, but the, one of the, um, the edit of uh, Chuck Steele that went around the festivals uh, had Jennifer Saunders doing a voice. And I, imagine once securing her they wouldn't do anything to you know replace her because it's jennifer fucking saunders mm -hmm. but you know she is a lady of a certain age and the character was i think meant to be in her sort of late 20s and you know her cadence was great and her delivery was funny but it did to me personally seem a little bit at odds with the visual of the character um and you think of that nonsense thing we were talking about, about like how Julia Sawala is supposedly too old to play <laughs> her character in Chicken Run. And so she's like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And you, you be the judge. And she sounds exactly the same. But she's got a young voice. Yeah. Yeah. There's a pitch, um, there's a pitch to her voice. So I think if you can actually sort of reach a certain age and, and still have kind of command of a sort of youthfulness, um, I think that's great. I think that's a really sort of a because once your voice is, you know, starts to sound old, there's really no throwing that into reverse. Yeah. Um, I've noticed it with you know editing back these podcasts. I I'm sounding very grizzled um, compared to you know six seven years ago, um, and especially doing music stuff. Like there's a certain hoarseness and certain um, octaves that wasn't there before. But life has uh, destroyed you, Ben. Yeah, like life in a <laughs> fuck ton of bourbon. Um, was it? I was. Yeah, it was an audio book I was listening to, and it was an uh, actress playing a character uh, that she had played thirty years ago in a TV show, and it was an audio book that was tied into that TV show, and you know she's playing the teenage version of her character. And she's in her sixties now or her fifties. And like, yeah, this isn't really um my disbelief is not suspended. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think where 
what what it would have been that that you can you can kind of hear the the age of somebody in a character and i don't i think i'll probably it'll probably come to me and i won't want to say it because it'll be rude <laughs> but when you can hear a character who's supposed to be them as a as a young person but you can still hear that old you know that raspy yeah. sort of something kind of happened in the lower part of the throat yeah it's sort of in the back of the throat it's yeah. something drops i think um second puberty <laughs> all these things that being on the wall service awards for and art degrees and things like that oh that's weird why does why do they have them and not him because they're the proud parents uh, ah. yeah Hmm. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think my parents have any certificates on the walls. They do have graduation photos. Yeah. Steve, were you the first person in your family to go to uni? Uh, yes, although my uncle Doug uh, was a he did fit the bar at Sunderland. Uh, Students' Union. Oh, ah. Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, I was the first in my family to go to uni, so it was a bit weird, especially when I went to do animation. Was that a point of pride? Were they uh, were they beaming with? Uh, there wasn't, and then obviously I was going to do animation. I wasn't going to do <laughs> like you know to the degree that gets you a job <laughs> you know I was, I was doing i wasn't really doing anything of any particular uh merit you know but they were very proud of me my my dad's always said to me i don't son i don't care if you're a doctor or a dustbin man as so long as you're happy uh and that's that's the kind of thing that's that i've been brought up with um, and then you come home with your degree it's like I, I told you, doctor dustman or dustman man. man. What's this animation <laughs> shit? <laughs> well, I've got a PhD. I was so clear in my instructions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I should have become a, a, a... I got a PhD in emptying bins. That would have... <laughs> I did both, Dad. I can have it all. That is the thing. I mean, if you're not happy in what you do, what is the, the bloody point? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's exactly. a very trite thing to sort of parrot, but it's it's it is like true. You can, you can be in a very affluent. Um, a lot of people I know who have very very you know affluent careers, and they're just miserable. Mm. And they did it because their parents kind of made them. Yeah. Um, I have a friend of mine from secondary school. I used to think he was like humoring me, but he wasn't really that kind of person. So I never quite read it until i realized oh he is actually being sincere he just spoke about the work that i did in animation with such kind of envy and appreciation and he made probably three times as much as i made in you know his line of work and will continue i'm sure to make you know fistfuls over fistfuls he'll be very very financially solvent and comfortable but his job stresses him out and it upsets him at times. And he is, I think, there are these large chasms of his life where he feels like he he needs to get out. Um, and it does make me feel enormously grateful that, um, and I think there's something we all kind of share, especially based on what you just said, that, you know, our parents sort of put our happiness kind of first in terms of the pressures 
or lack thereof. Yeah. Like if anything, there was, there was a pressure to just find what made you sort of comfortable and what gave you pleasure. Um, as long as it wasn't, you know, killing people or animals or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Very lucky for that. Very kind of, very lucky to have had that. And, and, and in a way that, that shapes, that shapes who you are and what you do. You know, there are people who are pressured into certain roles, people who pressure themselves into certain roles uh, and it does, like you say, it can cause them damage. It can cause them uh, grief. Whereas if you're brought up to believe that, um, you know, you should be, you know, you deserve happiness, but, you know, your happiness should isn't going to be frowned upon by the people you respect most in life, then then that's a good thing, you know, and, and it ends up working out, working out fine. I like the sort of full circle-ness of this Um bringing the lady friend home into mm. the, uh, I think, into a kind of aloof uh, reception. And they're starting to, to, you know, the things that we might be familiar with or we are familiar with, or not anymore, you know, they had a rotary phone and they were, they were terrified of it, you know, a bottle of wine, <laughs> things like that. I think my dad's first car was the same car that... Uh, Raymond's driving there. <laughs> My dad always talks about his minivan that he used to have. Not always. He sometimes talks about Leeds United. I like a family home uh, over in Canada. I used to think Canada was like really, really behind the rest of the world or behind England because I only really knew this one house that was at the time my grandfather's house. And it was just that he never updated the amenities and uh, so it had like the rotary phone and the the television with the dial on it and you had to like coordinate the dials if you wanted to get the uhf channels <laughs> watching you know um <laughs> biker mice from mars through like a snowstorm of static <laughs> did it improve it anything would have <laughs> I don't know why that was the first thing my brain plucked out of hey, the, was, the ether. The show I watched maybe two minutes of accumulation. It was no street sharks. <laughs> but that was kind of nice. It was like sort of stepping in a sort of time portal. Yeah. Um, and then realizing like eventually, you know, as I got older and I had like friends in Canada and I'd spend time at their house. I was like, oh, wow. These, you have proper televisions. My goodness. <laughs> This is a sweet film. Loads of details that we probably don't recognise, like apparently the luncheon voucher sticker on the window, but I certainly remember going round uh, John Street Market or the Osler Centre as it is now in Bradford, and all the cafes had those tomatoes as which had ketchup in, the squeezy tomato bottles. Mm. <laughs> What's happening here? He's buying a house. What? Why is his mum mad? She doesn't like it. It looks like a dump. But does he want it because he wants to live in the countryside? Yeah, that's what he's trying to explain to her. He is wearing sandals and socks, so I'm kind of on her side. 
I mean, it, like he's like what thirty? Maybe. <laughs> Why is he wearing sandals and socks? <laughs> he went to art school. He's allowed to wear sandals and socks. No one's allowed to wear sandals and socks. He wears sandals because he's. <laughs> He wears sandals because he's a free spirit and he wears socks because his feet are cold. <laughs> it is something very delightful about wearing sandals and socks. Like it <laughs> changed it you. It is ultimate comfort. Wow. It's not allowed, Flip but it flop. is um, ultimate comfort. <laughs> I would never do it, but it is very good. Hmm. What's that one for? Retirement. I've got the sound up slightly so I can, t- I can tell you what's going on. <laughs> So we're getting on in the film now, and uh, yeah, it's it's getting. We're, we're at the moon landing now, which is fascinating. Right at the very beginning, there was that kind of biplane at the at the beginning. It always fascinates me the speed at which we went from basically a wooden frame <laughs> with some yeah horse and cart basically to or a kite with an engine in it to landing on the moon it's one of those weird things like our generation and the generation that's sort of like inexistent now sort of like get sort of this idea of like oh you know we have new cutting edge inventions every day and stuff and it's like yeah but they're so boring like they're all like tiny little things like you know now our phones fit in our watch and blah 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 but the generation before had crazy stuff happen. Like, they saw genuine world wars and mm. and really huge changes in, like, how we transport people and everyone and everything up and down the country. Like, they saw so much more happen. So, to like, you know, it's why you have to, look, like, have a bit of patience. Like, okay, my granddad can't maybe use the internet, but Jesus Christ, like, when he was a kid, there wasn't even a phone <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like the only thing they had was a wireless well you sort of you realize more i think in hindsight it's not it doesn't feel like we're hitting upon great leaps forward or advances and then when you kind of you have to kind of cast your mind back i think to sort of childhood or those sort of very other years and it's more the absence of everything mm. that you kind of now sort of take for granted and it's just sort of not there um, yeah. What I find as time speeds up, of course, the older we get, um, terrifyingly, it's not so much that I'm getting old, it's that people that made me realize I was getting old are getting old now. Mm. Like, <laughs> they're, they're coming up to 30, and like, Fuck, what does that mean for me? Because this was like the mm. person that when I met them and they were in their sort of early 20s, they reminded me, okay, you know, spring chicken you got to start getting your, your act together. And there, you know, their, their hair is thinning. They're going grey. Um, life is t- teaching them the same horrible lessons they taught me years ago. <laughs> um, but that happens, and it happens with TV shows. And so you're watching something that seems absolutely timeless for years and years and years. And then suddenly it's a 20-year-old show. And it's like, no, that can't be right. Like, mm. no, this, and then you say, well, no, it's, it's still frozen in time. It's still relevant. You know, it's still on the on the money. And then AJ Soprano's beeper goes off. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, Christ. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we 
We're getting up yeah. to... Yeah, go on, Ben. No, you carry on. I was going to say, we're getting up to quite a... Uh, quite a, a harrowing bit of the film. We've kind of... It, earlier on when I was talking about this, the book, you know, not being disappointed by the film, there's a moment in the book which is absolutely heartbreaking. And my worry was that that this film wouldn't be able to translate that moment because animation and illustration are two completely separate things. They work together well, absolutely, but they're two completely separate things that can't convey the same emotion or can't convey the same or express the same thing. And there's a moment coming up here where they have managed to translate it absolutely perfectly. And they do so, they do so by not animating. And I think that that's a such a fantastic way of of preserving what was unique about uh, this unique moment in the book and maintaining that kind of the heartbreak that's coming up. And I think that they've done it really well in this film. And it's yeah, a shame really you guys have not actually read the book. So yeah, sorry. You should should really yeah treat yourself to a copy. No, it really is a sort of testament to how much lupus know what they're doing. Yeah. So. Yeah. someone should say something yeah I'm, I'm uh, the, the, the air is thick with is. Uh, melancholy <laughs> yeah I can barely see the screen <laughs> it's um, it's this moment coming up now where you see in the uh, the cold light of the kind of hospital corridor in that she's not an animated character anymore she's an illustration and there's no motion to it. And right now, it's exactly as it is in the book. And yeah, it's it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. And like you say, that's a testament to that's a testament to the directors, the art directors, the animators, all the people making those decisions in order to, you know, translate. Uh, with, with, yeah, such class. I think is the is the way uh, that they have in this uh, this book into film. It's wonderful. It um, it is something that I think really makes it stand out. Sort of going back to the the earlier conversation about the sort of different cultures of animated cinema. And there really aren't that many that I think go to that place in as direct a way or pull it off mm. in that way. You know, quite a few films, I think, try. They sort of make that grab for um, your emotions, you know. But you can tell when it's sincere and when it's not. Um, 
obviously this um, story comes from a very sincere place, and I think that kind of shines through. Yeah. It is why, and I don't want to, maybe a sort of a, a ludicrous comparison, um, but when people talk about certain quote-unquote sad moments in, like, say, a Pixar film, there's this part yeah. of me that's like, you know, what? Well, yeah, who am I to say what you do and don't find sad? Um, but there is a, another part of me that's like, eh. Like, it, it's, he's given away his toys. It's like, it's good. He's a grown up now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, I thought you were going to go straight to, to up to the first 10 minutes of up. And those first 10 minutes are designed to make you feel sad. And you know that you're going to feel sad and you know, it's coming, you know, it's, it's definitely coming. You're not, you know, this is going on too fast. It's too enjoyable. Uh, but it does it happens, feel it, by design. Yes. You know, yes. it feels kind of like sad preamble, you know, by committee. Um, as I mentioned in last week's episode, I, there's a lot of that I really enjoyed about Up. I thought the music was really, really well done. I think that played a huge part in, um, you know, the bits of that film that do succeed emotionally. Um, mm. But, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's something a little more authentic in, in a film like this. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. The one that drove me nuts was, <laughs> uh, do you remember in um, Inside Out, um, the imaginary friend? Yeah, yeah. And people were like, it's so sad, the imaginary friend. But no, it, it's an opacity being turned down. It's not... <laughs> <laughs> Like, there was nothing about that character that was like, oh, the film hinges on <laughs> the memory of, of this goofy thing. Oh. But again, if it moved you, more power to you. People out there who were listening to this appalled at my absence <laughs> of soul. And then we have it. Ethel and Ernest. Lovely stuff. Do you think that this film is perhaps because it's a much new, more recent film? Of course, I think it came out four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, as far as it's sort of getting the popular vote, do you feel that that has a part to play, or do you think that even in its sort of relative infancy um, in the landscape of cinema, it might have made more of a mark than when the wind blows? That's a great question. Uh, I. I'd like to think it was the former rather than the latter. I would mm. like to think that that this film has succeeds in a in a way that when the wind blows doesn't. I do know that when the wind blows perhaps isn't perhaps isn't the first film that the squiggly voting audience might perhaps go to, if you know what I mean. Um, and no offense to them, obviously, keep voting, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but. I think it's a, it's definitely of a, f a film a few generations even above us. Really, it was you know it was released around when we were babies, you know. So, yeah, and it's a great film. When the wind blows is a great film. It might even be a film that ends up being vetoed and we end up playing it again, or it might be one of those films that wins the next round of, you know, the 
when we put all the losers up against one another. Maybe. Time what do you tell. think? Hmm. You don't see Simon Day in so, that yeah. much anymore. I saw him do a one-man show once, and um, uh, I think it was part of the Cheltenham Literary Festival or something. It was very, very funny. I think one of them was in a like a fast show character, mm. but I forget which one. And then the other one was just a kind of general one-man show. But, Guys, uh, we, uh, we forgot at the beginning of this to pick a film for next week, so we need to talk about that quite soon. Okie dokie. What, uh, do you have any suggestions? Uh, Paranorman versus Frankenweenie, Fear of the Dark versus Canterbury Tales, Book of Kells versus Song of the Sea, Yellow Submarine versus Something. Hmm. Let's, well, do we want to go back to, to stop motion? Uh, I'm fine with that. Yeah? Is it Fear of the Dark that I mean? The anthology film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I don't know if the... Let's put a pin in that because I think that there were some um, uh, technical sort of things with the Canterbury Tales. Um, uh, it's whether we want to do Paranormal versus Frank and Weenie if we want to pick another one. Did we have Frank and Weenie? Sure. Was that already part of a vote? No, it hasn't been wasn't yet. It? No, we haven't That's done it in Burton one. It was Corpse Bride, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think now is oh, no, probably a good point to one then. But we had yeah. we haven't we were going to do Corpse Bride versus Frank and Winnie, but we ended up what did we put up against Corpse Bride? Book of Life. Yeah, Book of Life. Mm-hmm. So okay, I'm yeah. happy with that. I'm happy with okay. that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, Paranorman versus Frank and Winnie. Mm-hmm. That's what we're right on. Okay, folks, it's up to you. Be sure to vote on the. Uh, well, wherever we have a voting thing up, it'll be in the article. They'll be grouped together. We'll put up polls on Twitter and Facebook. As tradition dictates. Yeah, and, and don't uh, forget that you've got to go on Facebook and and the actual website to vote, because we do aggregate all the votes. We do stick them together. Because a couple of weeks ago, I think something won on Twitter, and people were like, yay! And we are like, nope. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, yeah, make sure that you're voting. And also, if you can think of maybe a good anthology series that we could put up against Canterbury Tales or uh, Fears of the Dark or we're still looking for films we'd we'd love you to send us a tweet at Squiggly on Twitter Um, yeah let us know what films you like and you'd like to see uh, up against one another uh, for the Squiggly Film Club and it can be as mainstream or obscure and independent as you like yeah. And if you suggest a really good one, we might just go straight to it and not even put it up to a vote. Yeah. Crazy. Surprises. Break <laughs> our format. <laughs> it's nice watching the credits of this and seeing, uh, well, not now, because obviously it's like I don't know any of these people. But um, yeah, seeing the people earlier on in the, you know, the animators and uh, people who worked on this thing is great. Yeah. That is the nicer thing about newer films. Is, yeah. Um, it's sort of more likely that you'll sort of see familiar faces in the credits there. If you Google animation anthology, my film comes up. Weird. Oh, well. As well it should. Weird. So, yeah. Right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, until next time, I guess. Bye-bye. I, I'm sort of like... <laughs> 
Shall we just tap out now? Yeah, I don't know if we need to wait till the, the end of the quest. We've already right. seen all of these people. <laughs> that is true. Okay, bye everyone. Bye-bye. See you later.